0: Maroon and Bold! Hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Maroon and Bold podcast. I'm sports editor Christian Boer and today I'm joined by two of our reporters, Ryan Kaloris and Sean Chase. Um, Gentlemen, we're nearing the last full month of the semester. We're getting ready to close the book on school. how are we feeling? What's the mood like right now, Sean? We'll start with you.
1: I'm ready to be at the end of it. I'm ready to get into that internship life. Uh huh. Take a little break.
0: Uh huh. What about you,
2: Ryan? Yeah, man. I'm. I'm just trying to get through it right now.
0: I feel you. I feel you. Um, <laughs> we're recording this on a dreary Monday in April, April 4th to be exact. There was snow this morning. I don't know who's in charge of the weather, Mother Nature, whatever, but. <laughs> Let's chill on the snow in April, huh, fellas. I agree with that. Come on now. Uh, but a lot to talk about with CMU Sports. We interviewed Ryan for a podcast, I believe, two weeks ago um, about the MAC championship, and the audio got corrupted. Um, so real quick, let's hit on that. Uh, CMU gymnasts win the Mid-American Conference Championship. They send three to regionals. Um, Ryan, just your overall thoughts on the gymnastics season.
2: Uh yeah. Um, you know, I think I mean they obviously they ended up with the win in the Mac championship. Um, so that was really cool to go and cover. Um, but overall, I think uh I think the the big uh kind of from the season, um I was really impressed with uh with Coach McDonald, um, Mm -hmm. how she handled kind of um, especially in the beginning of the season with uh, you know, they, they didn't quite start off the season as well as they finished it. So, so I was really impressed with kind of just, just the, how the season progressed and, and how they picked it up at the end. And obviously uh, the end result was, you know, what they wanted. So, so yeah, it was really impressive for sure.
0: Yeah. The three that qualified for regionals, Hannah Demers, Katie Kowalski and Sierra Demarinis, um, all three competed down at the regional this past weekend. Um, uh, nobody qualifying for nationals, um, but it looks as though all three had good performances at the regional stage. Uh, certainly a lot to be excited about with the future of CMU gymnastics.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, um, I, I tried to, uh, tune into the regionals. It was, it's kind of hard to follow because, you know, they had like, I had however many teams competing there along with all the individuals, but, um, but, yeah, no, they all finished off on a high note. Um, so that was pretty cool to see. And, and yeah, looking forward to seeing what they can do next year for sure.
0: Yeah, and Demarinus is a senior, so it was her last performance a Chippewa. But Demers and Kowalski will both be back. Um, so will many of the anchors on that team that won the MAC championship. So that's going to be fun to follow next year. Um, want to shift it to a sport that's kind of just getting started. The CMU baseball team played its first home series of the season. Uh, this weekend against Ohio, swept it. They're now four, or excuse me, they went 4-0 and on the weekend. They're now 9-1 in Mid-American conference play. Obviously, they were only able to play two games against Kent State in that first series of conference play due to the weather. Uh, not sure if those are ever going to get made up. Um, it's going to be tough to do when you're playing games every single weekend, unless you want to mix in, you know, one game a week and for a couple weeks. I don't know how they plan on doing that. Um, right now, they're first in the MAC thanks to winning percentage. Ball State just below them, 12 and 2. Um, Ryan, you were there covering the doubleheader Sunday. We had Noah Wolbrick there Saturday covering the <clears throat> doubleheader. A uh, couple things I want to touch on with you. First, um, just all the shifting this weekend, right? They're supposed to play one game Friday, two games Saturday, one game Sunday. That became one game Saturday, two games Sunday, one game Monday. Which then became doubleheader Saturday, doubleheader Sunday. Um, you know, shout out to you and Noah for being flexible, as well as our photographers. But just all that shifting, man. I mean, what can you say about that?
2: Yeah, it was <laughs> it was kind of a lot to just kind of follow and and keep up with. But um, I, ultimately, I mean, obviously, it went pretty well. Especially like you know, TMU got the sweep both days, so that was pretty cool. But uh, but yeah, I mean, the first day it was like. I think it was nine innings, the first game, seven innings the second, yeah. and then the next day it was flip flopped. So I, it was all kind of weird, but but like I said, it all worked out, so
0: yeah, and, and Central Michigan wins both games on Sunday. The first one five to two, the second one twelve to six. Ryan, who stood out to you in those two performances? We'll start with game one. Uh, Andrew Taylor goes six in six innings for the win. He had been dealing with some arm trouble, so they were kind of limiting him. Uh, Through his last couple starts, I know when they played Iowa, what was he? Walked, I think, two guys and struck out seven in three innings. And then they pulled him to save his arm a little bit for games like this. Obviously, didn't really show a whole lot of signs of being nagged by anything. Pitched six really strong innings. Um, And then the offense kind of broke out in the second game. So just what were your thoughts on the day as a whole and maybe who stood out to you?
2: Yeah, i I thought Andrew Taylor looked pretty good. Um, you know, he had a pretty solid line. He had uh five strikeouts through six innings, uh only gave up four hits, two earned runs. But um but yeah, no, he looked good. Um he looked pretty in control the whole time. Um a few of the innings, uh you know, the pitch count was kinda high. I think he was at uh yeah, he was at one oh eight uh one oh eight through six. So yeah. um yeah, so you'd like that to be a little bit lower, but um but I don't know. Some of those innings, it was just, you know, contact, like soft contact, foul balls, just some of those innings just dragged on. And like it, it seemed like he was really like he was throwing pretty well. But, but yeah, some of the, uh, some of those innings just didn't necessarily go the best as far as pitch count.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Continue. Continue.
2: Or no, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, I just had a quick thought on Andrew Taylor. Um, last year, obviously, he won so many awards and rightfully so he was dynamite last year. Um, But you kind of saw the issue in the, in the NCAA tournament when he faced a team like Notre Dame, where you're just loaded with, you know, guys that are going to be pros. Um, They kind of sat on the fastball a little bit and he was sitting, I think the, because there's no radar gun for full disclosure, there's no radar gun at Tennyson stadium, unfortunately. Um, So you're, you're kind of reliant on maybe the scouts or whoever puts stuff out there on him um according to a tweet from perfect game he was sitting about 89 to 91 with the fastball and he was touching 92 um but the thing about taylor was he was kind of a you know he he had a solid two three pitch mix last year but the curveball wasn't necessarily where you wanted it to be um and then the off speed as well and so a lot of those hitters in that notre dame lineup just sat fastball right and the first time through the order they were having a hard time catching up to it because it's got so much life on it. Um, it moves a lot. Um, and so guys were having trouble. I think he struck out four or five of the first nine guys he faced, and then that second time through the lineup, the guys are just sitting fastball. Um, I think he gave up two or three home runs. So it'll be interesting to monitor how he incorporates another pitch or two, curveball. Uh, I know he's talked a little bit about maybe adding a cutter. Um and a slider. So it'll be interesting to see how that mix kind of evolves because once he gets that two, three pitch mix down where he's throwing them all consistently for strikes, he goes from being the Mac pitcher of the year to being a guy who contend for that honor on a national stage because he is just that good. And the thing about him is, is he's still divert developing too. Like he was a guy they brought in raw out of high school, um, had the ability to play right away, right? I mean, he was starting games in that season that was canceled due to COVID in 2019, or excuse me, 2020. And then obviously last year he went off. Um, so a lot to be excited about with him, um, as well as a lot of other guys on that pitching staff. But um, on the offensive side, Ryan, I'm interested to see or, or to hear, rather, what you thought of the Chippewa Bats
2: yeah i mean i touched on it in uh in the story that i wrote but um but yeah the bats kind of you know they got going early and they they really didn't uh they didn't slow down much and it was really interesting watching because uh when they would you know come off of a frame where they uh, did really well got a bunch of hits uh put some runs on the board um seems like it was you know it really uh fed into the pitchers uh just some of that run support um really seemed like it uh, gave the pitchers some of that confidence, you know. Um, but one of, one of the first – or one of the things that I noticed uh, that stood out right away was um, just Mario Camilletti, um leading off. He uh, – I think he had six hits on the day or something. But, man, when you have a leadoff – and, and I, saw, I saw a stat on Twitter the other day, actually. He's, like, um, the active NCAA leader in walks right now or something like that for his career. But yeah, no, that dude's electric and he's exactly what you want there at your leadoff. Um, so I think he did a great job opening the offense for, for both games and, and kind of, uh, you know, really uh, putting CMU in a good position um, early in both games. So yeah, that's definitely the first thing that, that, that stood out to me there.
0: Yeah. And, and this is a dude, Cameletti, who like he's, so he's fifth all time at Oakland in two full seasons in walks uh, for a career, uh, which is crazy. And then he comes to Central Michigan and sets the program record, leads the country in walks. When you look at prototypical leadoff hitters, this is your guy. This is your guy that gets on base five times, six times out of ten, which is incredible. You give him, what, four at-bats. That's usually he's getting on base at least two times a game. Um, And he's the perfect table setter. Uh, and the other guy that I was really, cause I went and watched the first game on Sunday uh, just as a casual fan was Jacob Marcy in the two slot is also dangerous mm-hmm. because Cameletti in the first inning, Cameletti got on, he, he took second on a wild pitch. And then Marcy, Mar, Marcy, excuse me, knocks him in. And then a couple innings later, Cameletti's down at second. What does Marcy do? Knocks him in. He's just an RBI machine out of that two slot. And it's like, you're going to play a lot of games. Central is going to play a lot of games where their pitcher is going to be awful happy because the first two guys are going to give them a 1-0 lead before the other team even bats an eye. And then you saw that in the second game as well. Um, the other guy that caught my eye, and you can kind of speak to this as well, was Danny Westenfeld. This guy who he played very sparingly last year behind Zach Heakey, who was an experienced veteran, did a lot for the Chippewa program and was a key piece in their kind of turnaround around. Into becoming the conference contender that they are. Uh, So Westenfeld didn't get a ton of run. And now he is just showing off that raw power. Went 400. He cleared 400 to right center yesterday. Super impressive. What was your thought on that?
2: Yeah, man. That was shoot. Watching that go out, that was, it was kind of crazy. It was, it was a no doubter from, you know, right center. That was, that was a shot. But yeah, no, that was pretty cool to watch. But, Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think he's, he's uh, done a lot as far as production, just in the, in the short season so far with, uh, with where he's at in the lineup. Um, But yeah, I think, uh, you know, between him and, and there are a few other guys, but uh, just the power that he's, like you said, the raw power that he's providing, um, I think that's really going to be invaluable, especially, like I said, where he is in the lineup. So
0: yeah, and, and one more quick hit. You know, you look at uh, last year's team. This was not a team that hit for a ton of power last year. I mean, mm-hmm. they hit – let's see, I'm going to count them up right here because it was 22 as a team, but you're looking at seven of those 22 home runs last season were in the NCAA tournament, seven of them. So you had 15 in the regular season. They've already got 11 right now. Um, and obviously, Tennyson Stadium is super wide open and, and big, and it's tough to hit the ball out of there. But, I mean, my goodness, has the power been impressive? Adam Proctor hit one out yesterday as well. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just going to be, I think, a fun storyline to follow.
2: Yeah, and um, Robbie Morgan, uh, he had one um, hit like the, the top half of the uh, center field, would have gone out at, like any other part of the field. But yeah, just the uh, the power is on display, and and it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, these led teams, you know, they're kind of more about like the small ball, oh like, yeah, you know, m- you know, moving the runners around the base. So um, so you know, it's kind of cool to see some of this uh, some of this power being unleashed, and and you know, I'm excited to to see where where they can go with it this year.
0: Yeah, no doubt, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, want to switch gears here for a second. We've got Sean Chase with us. Sean, you cover the women's basketball team. And I'd argue that the women's basketball team produced the biggest piece of news um, of the past week. Um, And that's that Molly Davis is transferring out. Uh, Molly Davis is a three-year starter. She's a three-time all-max selection. Uh, You name it, she's done it here at CMU. I mean, with the extra year of eligibility, you know, you're looking at two more seasons of her. Had she decided to stay, she's going to be the top player in CMU history, assuming she stays healthy. Uh, she crossed over a thousand points. I believe it was the second game of her junior year, which was this year. Just an incredible player, and it's going to be a tough loss for CMU. Sean wanted to just get your thoughts on that. Um, you know, where does this program go now, and and what I guess how big of a loss is this?
1: Well, in terms of size of the loss, is the biggest loss that CMU could have had this off season. There's no other player that Coach Osterley could have lost that can do as much for this team leadership-wise and point-scoring-wise as Molly Davis. Now, we had talked about it earlier in the year, just in passing, that she was getting a lot of run. Those minutes are going to hurt her. I don't think she's going to get that if she does go to a bigger program because she's not going to be your only option. This season, with all of the transfers that happened, Molly put up crazy numbers, but it's because she had to. The freshmen that they had around her weren't didn't have their sea legs yet. They could shoot. We learned that Tiana Tempe, Lisa Tess, and Hannah Noel can let it fly. But Molly had to do a lot of leg work this year, and I, it hurts me, specifically because I watched every game to see her lead.
0: Yeah, no, Molly is she's a generational talent as far as see what CMU is going to see, and Central Michigan's gotten real lucky these last few years because it seemed like every recruit they brought in was either ready to contribute right away and be a star or developed into one. I mean, you're talking about Presley Hudson, who was ready to go from day one. And then you pair her with Raina Frost in that recruiting class, where in two years time, she was one of the best rebounders in program history. Um, I believe she still leads the Mid-American Conference in career rebounds. And then you look at that, you know, next following recruiting class with Michaela Kelly, Michaela Kelly was incredible. Maddie Waters became an exceptional role player. Kira Bussell was phenomenal in the post uh, when she was healthy, which unfortunately towards the end of her career injuries just got the best of her. Um, You know, looking at that team last year, um, what they could have been had Kira stayed healthy. um, They could have gone to that tournament and and won a game or two in the NCAAs, but unfortunately just wasn't in the cards. Uh, Molly Davis, generational, but that recruiting class around her um, and Shine Strickland Gills and Kate MacArthur both transferred out after their freshman year. And then you look at now the whole 2020 class is gone. Um, so right now they're left with Anika Weeks, Jahari Smith, and your 2021 recruits. And that's it right now. Um, and so y- it's hard to find anything resembling a silver lining with what's left of this program. Obviously, Anika Weeks and Jahari Smith are great leaders. And all of the freshmen, I'd argue, oh, well, I guess Rebecca Gordon entered the transfer portal too. Um, So they're already down one recruit from that class. Um, I guess, Sean, this is as big of a rebuilding process as this program may have ever seen, right? Because then the days before the transfer portal, you had one constant, and that was that the recruits you recruited the previous year are coming back. That's not the case anymore. Um, It used to be you had players for four years and when those four years were up, then you got new players, right? That's not happening anymore. If somebody's unhappy, they're going to leave. And with the transfer portal and the ability to transfer and play right away, um, you know, you've got to be able to empower the players, right? Um, And and good for them. You know, Molly wants to go. We don't know why she's transferring. um, Never were given like a hardcore reason, but you have to imagine with her being a competitor, she wants to get a taste of the bright lights and go play at a bigger school. And you can't blame her. She's good enough to play there. Um, But I'm curious what you think is the next step for CMU women's basketball after you lose so much. Um, You had lost so much already, and now you lose in just one player. Um, So much production, so much talent, um, and really just the nucleus of your whole program.
1: Um, So where do you go from here? See, I don't think they're in as much danger as first glance would tell you. Yes, they did lose Molly. Tiana Tempe led the team in three-pointers made last year. That is something that it went under the radar because Molly gets a lot of run. But the freshman that they had, they did lose Rebecca Gordon, like you mentioned. She wasn't averaging more than two points and two rebounds a game, so it wasn't that big of an effect. You're getting Jahari back. You're getting Anika Weeks back, it seems – I can't say for certain they may decide to transfer out with the run, but it's going to be the transfer portal. Gino R.E.M. talked about it last week. There's 800 players in the portal. Like, We can get enough people to rebuild this team and just make runs, but now I think that they have to change their philosophy because CMU's been a legacy school with Sue Guevara and now Heather Osterly. It's very much like continue the legacy, continue our mission, just keep going forward you're not going to be able to do that anymore. It's like how coach K had to adjust to the one and done's. This is going to be the adjustment period for new coaches. You're going to have to figure out the transfer portal.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's something that's been very telling. Um, Heather talked about it in post-game press conferences all the time, um, especially towards the end of the year where she admitted that she was behind the times with using the transfer portal um, because central Michigan didn't have any transfers on this team. Um, as far as like acquisitions from the portal. And, you know, she admitted she's behind the times and she's going to go out and get t- maybe top tier talent. The problem is is that the main attraction for this team is gone now. Yeah, um, Molly Davis, people would want to play with her. Um, there's no question about that, but now it becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, but Sean, I guess just looking ahead um, obviously, we can't tell what's going to be brought in in the portal. We can't, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. But with what this team has, I guess just what is the pitch? What it, What should fans be excited about with CMU women's basketball in the near future?
1: Jahari Smith. She's going to make a run for all the record books. The top 10 lists are going to have her name engraved in them after one more season. And her leadership. I think you show up and you watch Jahari play one time, you can't say that she doesn't go after it. Every game she goes as hard as she can. Hopefully she can pass that on to the freshmen who are going to be here still in my mind, we're not going to lose them all, but like you said, we can't predict the future. It's just, hopefully we can get a a good core built.
0: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, boys, thank you so much for joining me. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Um, You can find these guys on Twitter at Ryan Caloris and at underscore Sean chase. Uh, And I say this every time, but if you don't feel like going on Twitter, if you want to give your mental health a break, You can go on our website, cm go ahead and click on the sports tab and just scroll down. These guys' names are tattooed all over the website. They've done a lot of great work. Um, From Ryan, you can expect more coverage when CMU Baseball comes back out to Tennyson Stadium for a four-game set with Northern Illinois. It's scheduled to begin on Friday. Sean is going to be doing some football stuff for us. He's got an awesome feature in the works that we won't spill too many details about but he's going to be well let's just say you might see it on the cover of our next print edition on c of cm life um, awesome. next thursday so uh just stay tuned and make sure you're following all of our coverage and once again thank you so much for joining us on this week's maroon and bold and everybody have a great weekend